0: Welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your industrious host, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries, with my lovely Wahine wife and co-host, Goldie Ann, and a special guest connecting to us all the way from Hawaii, my amazing Kakamahine, or daughter, Ariel. I'm good. Yeah, and Ariel, how are you all the way there in Hawaii? Good. (laughs) I know it's a six-hour time difference, so for us, it's 11 o'clock, but for you, how early is it? 5 a.m. Ew, that's gross. Well, we're glad that you joined us, uh, because since we are going to be talking about Hawaii, we're tying in our subject for this week to some of the legends and history of Hawaii. Before we begin, though... Because our daughter and her family are currently living in Hawaii, Goldie Ann and I are planning to visit them early next year. However, it can be very expensive. In fact, that is why I am putting it on layaway. Oh God, I didn't
1: even see that one coming. Oh God, you know, at least each week you warn us that it's coming. (laughs) nope (laughs) just straight into it today (laughs) i'm gonna stop the podcast right here for a second and ask you so should you say hawaii or should you be saying hawaii since you're american
2: you can say hawaii or hawaii or because hawaii isn't technically correct because there's an okina in there which is a glottal stop and then our w's ours they're not mine the w's here are typically either they're pronounced as a w like hawaii or you can pronounce them like a v like we have halieva which is i butchered that pronunciation too but the w in there is a v so either one is correct hawaii is technically
0: incorrect Ah, see i had no clue and actually that's why i want to put in a disclaimer for this episode The Hawaiian language is rich and beautiful, and sounds like poetry even for the simplest of words. However, it is not my native tongue, so I did my best to research the correct pronunciation of the names and places we will be discussing today. But I am sure many of the words are going to be said incorrectly. This is not meant as an insult in any way, and I apologize in advance if I get any of them wrong. Today, I wanted to talk about Hawaiian oral history, and that many centuries ago, a mischievous group of small people lived hidden in the forests and valleys of the islands. This was even before the first settlers arrived from Polynesia. These people, who roamed the deep forests at night, were said to be only two feet tall, though some were as tiny as six inches, small enough to fit in the palm of a hand. They enjoyed dancing, singing, and archery, and their favorite foods were bananas and fish. They have been known to use magic arrows to pierce the hearts of angry people, igniting feelings of love instead. They also enjoy cliff diving, and according to local lore, they were smart, extremely strong, and excellent craftsmen. They were rarely seen by human eyes and they are credited with mighty feats of engineering and overnight construction. Even today, there are reports of sightings within the forests of Hawaii. Today we talk about the Menehune. Awesome. So Ariel, you're newly arrived in uh, on the islands of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, how quickly did it take you to get introduced to the Menehune?
2: Actually, you introduced me, but I had already kind of subconsciously been introduced because, like, like we hadn't heard any stories or anything. But our water company is called Menahune, and they actually have like their mascot on their bottle is just like a little guy. And when you had said something about it, I all of a sudden I was like, wait, I've seen one—not really, but a little animation <laughs> of one. <laughs> mm, that's cool.
0: And they're pretty much everywhere as far as advertising there are they not
1: um i've seen them quite a uh, quite a bit i know my first encounter with that was uh, when i started in my travel agency business for disney yeah and when i studied uh, alani they have a lot of sculptures around the alani resort of the Menehune.
2: I was going to say, a lot of their merchandise is menahune and they have like the mischief makers and stuff like yes, that. Yeah. They're yeah, I hear they're
0: quite
1: the little rascals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now that we know what we're going to talk about, let's talk about their very beginning. Chapter 1, The Arrival of the Original Polynesians. The time of people arriving to the Hawaiian Islands began during the early 300s BCE. This is the time period of Plato and the ancient Greek civilizations. While people walked in togas of Europe, islanders traveled for the Marquesa Islands in only canoes, making the journey of 2300 miles, utilizing the stars that guide them. Here, they decided to stay. When the Polynesians from Tahiti arrived later during the 1100s, they found dams, fish ponds, and roads that were already built. These were attributed to the Menehune, people who existed on the islands even before the settlers of the Marquesas. Catherine Luomala, author of the Menehune of Polynesia and other mythical little people of Oceania, suggests that the new settlers from Tahiti began oppressing the little people, labeling them as Menehune or commoner in the Tahitian language. These people were ultimately forced to flee to the mountains and valleys where they could remain hidden, and it was these that became the mythical beings known as the Menehune. Oral tradition and tales about these mystical beings continued from that very start. They were passed down through the centuries by word of mouth, generation after generation. Eventually, they were translated and probably changed to suit their new audiences. They may not possess the same wonder that the ancient versions had, but they were utilized as fables to teach children important lessons, to act as moral tales. Well, that's cool. So have you done any moral tales for your children?
1: <laughs> I have not, not with Menahune. <laughs> Hey, go to bed, or the is coming.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know, Ariel, you spend a lot of time telling bedtime stories to Jude and so forth, so it's kind of the same thing, correct?
1: Yes,
2: so many, so many stories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I have some new ones to add to you. Chapter 2, The Three Menehune of Ainaho. One of the most common of these tales is The Three Menehune of Ainaho. Ainaho is a forest on the north side of Kaokala crater on Maui. In this crater dwelt three Menehune. They were named Halua, Ilu, and Molawa. They were well known by all the other Menahune living in Hawaii of possessing very unusual powers. Halua was so named by his Kapuna, or ancestors a long time ago because he was always shaking which is what the word means, to shake or tremble. His magic gift was that whenever he would start shaking, he would disappear, and no matter where he went, he was invisible. Ilu in Hawaiian means quick and nimble, and that is exactly what he was. Whenever Ilu moved, he was so fast that he disappeared, and that was his magic gift. As far as Moloa, his name meant lazy, but this he definitely wasn't. In ancient times, the Kapuna would name people with hidden meanings. It was true in this case. The magical powers that Maloa possessed was that whenever he appeared to be lazy and sleeping, his magical self, his spirit, became invisible, and he would be off and about doing all kinds of good deeds the three were very good friends and happened to be walking down together from the kalua gap one bright and sunny afternoon they were there to obtain food for the day ilu was so fast that the fish could not see him and he filled his eke the word for bag in no time and called to the others who were harvesting bananas halua and maloa made small holes in the middle of the banana trees with their spears This was so that they could use them as hand and footholds to climb the highest parts of the trees. Once there, they pulled down a ripe bunch and picked off each of the bananas, so that if any of the humans discovered the tree later, they would just think that it fell. Loaded with bananas and fish, the three left for home in Heokala. As they approached the valley, they heard someone crying. They hid their food and went to investigate. Ilu walked fast and he disappeared. Halua started to shake and he disappeared. Maloa hid himself in the forest beneath some leaves and went to sleep. His spirit joined the other Menahune and they traveled towards whoever was crying. In a small clearing in the forest they noticed a young boy and girl sitting on a rock by a stream. The little girl was crying. She was heartbroken and was talking to the little boy. So that the hidden Menahune could hear their conversation. She was sad that their kapuna cane and kapuna wahine, grandfather and grandmother, were getting old and they could not fix the broken taro fields. Without the taro root, they could not make poi, a principal food for the Hawaiian natives, and they would have to go hungry. And Ariel's making an interesting face at the mention of poi. Have you tried it yet? We have, and
2: it is definitely interesting. Um, I don't particularly like it, but I definitely think that everyone should try it while they're here. So I think it's Uh-oh. one of those things, either you love it or you hate it. But
0: so, but so you're glad that you don't have to live off of it.
2: I don't know that I could live off of it, but the other other food that Hawaii has to offer is spot
0: on. So. <laughs> Well, for these two, they would have to go hungry without the boy. The children had been sent to the forest to get fish for the family's dinner, but they just couldn't catch any because they swam too fast for their little hands. Hearing that, Ilu immediately took the net that was lying next to the little boy, and he entered the stream next to them. The little boy and girl were so shocked to see their net floating in midair and move by itself into the stream. Their mouths stood wide open and neither could say a word. Suddenly, the net floated back to them, and it was full of fish. Ilu set the net right next to them and went back to the other Menehune. They hugged Ilu and told him that this was a wonderful thing that he did. The little boy and girl could barely carry the bag that they had put the fish in and were laughing as they left the forest. Upon returning home, the children had told their kapuna what had happened in the forest. Hearing the story, they knew that the Menahune had watched over their grandchildren, and that the fish was a gift to them. They all joined hands and prayed their thanks to the gods for the Menahune's help. Over dinner that evening, the three Menahune were discussing the faith of the little children and their grandparents. They decided that they would go to the family's hut and repair it as usual the menehune had a rule that had to be followed all work must be concluded in one night before sunrise the ancient menehune rule was that if the work could not be finished in one night it could never be completed wow why it's just part of the magic of the Menahune that if they are going to do a project they can start as soon as the moon rises but it has to be done before the sunrise and if it's not, then it never will be.
2: Hmm. I mean, it's kind of like that around here, but it's because when Vera gets up, then everything is just chaos. But
0: <laughs> Vera being our granddaughter. And yes, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. When she's awake, the work stops. It does. Well, for the Menahune, is, yes, whatever you can get done during the night is all you're going to get done. <laughs> hmm. As the sun started to set, the three Menehune prepared the magical tools. Seeing that the moon had disappeared, the three Menehune left the deep forest and went, all in their invisible state. Arriving at the family's home, they immediately started working, fixing the broken home. They built new walls around the fields and they replanted numerous taro patches and made sure that they were at different stages of growth. Having done that, They cleaned up and repaired everything around the Kapuna's property. The Menehune did not know that for some time they were being secretly watched by the little girl and boy who were hiding by the window in the house. All they saw was the Menehune tools moving around the taro patches and plants being planted and started to grow as they watched. Everything seemed to float in mid-air by itself. Like in the forest, they could not see anyone using the tools. All activity stopped as dawn appeared, and when the sun rose, the children could see all the work that had been done. In waking their kapuna, they all rejoiced, and that night they left a gift for the three Menehunes. You see, the grandfather was a carver, and he made three beautiful canes out of Kalua wood. He instructed his grandchildren to take the canes to the forest, leave them in a clearing by a big rock next to the stream, and say mahalo, which means thank you, three times. The two little children did exactly what was told of them. After saying mahalo three times, they looked towards the big rock by the stream where they had left the canes. The canes had vanished. The children returned home to their grandparents and all lived happily ever after. The moral of the story is, no matter how hard your life is, there is always someone that is will help you to make things better. A positive view of the world and the people around you is important. I
2: liked it. That was really sweet.
0: Yeah, I thought they were troublemakers. That doesn't sound very troubling. Not
1: at all. And
0: there's there's a lot of different stories of the Menahune. Uh, okay. Some of them where they do cause mischief and other ones where they are good guys. Okay. And in this case, they were three good ones.
1: Absolutely. I need some of those in my life.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot <laughs> of people compare the Menahune to the cobbler and the elves. Yeah. It was really you know the difficult. story where the cobbler is asleep and the elves are helping him by fixing all the shoes all during the night. So there is a lot of similarities between that story and stories like this one. This isn't the only fable in which humans have become involved with the Manihune. Chapter 3, Laka. There's also a story which is told about a local Kauai youth named Laka. Laka's father had gone away one day to visit neighboring islands, but for some reason he never came back. Because of this, Laka was teased as he grew up. When he grew to be a man, Laka developed a strong desire to go and search for his father. His mother told him to go up into the mountains to find a koa tree, tall and straight, suitable for a canoe. The young man did just as he was told. After much searching in the mountains, he found the perfect tree. After cutting it down, Laka went home, planning to retrieve the fallen tree the next day. However, when he returned the next morning, the tree was back in its place as if it had never been cut down. Confused and amazed, he cut it down again, only to find the tree once again restored to its stump the next day. What kind of magical tree is this, Laka thought to himself. He again chopped the tree down, but this time he also dug a hole next to the stump, and there he hid himself, just to see what would happen to the tree. Time slowly went by, and as Laka sat in the hole hiding, he slowly drifted off to sleep. In the dead of night, he was awakened by a humming noise that echoed throughout the forest. As the noise grew louder and louder, Laka saw them. It was a band of menehune led by a chief. Although very surprised, Laka was able to come to his senses, and he came up with a plan. When the Menehune got closer, he stretched his arm and quickly grabbed the chief by the beard. Holding the chief, Laka made a deal with the Menehunes. They would carve him a canoe and he would release their chief. Reluctantly, the tiny people agreed, but they had a few conditions. First, Laka must go and build a large hut in which to hold the canoe. Second, he must feed all the Menehune who worked on the canoe. And finally, the young man must not peek while the menehune were working, no matter what. The industrious little people would never permit humans to watch them. "Deal," said Laka to the chief. So the next day, he did just what he was asked for by the menehune. First, he built a large hut for the canoe. Then he prepared a large amount of food. As the night came, Laka lay awake waiting. Soon he heard the humming noise emerge from the forest. The Menehunes first feasted on the food, then off they went to begin their work. They hummed all through the night. Although very tempted, Laka kept his word, and he didn't even peek once. At dawn the next day the humming disappeared. When Laka opened his eyes, the Menehune were gone, and in the hut lay a beautifully crafted canoe of the finest workmanship. This would begin the legend of Laka and his quest.
2: I don't know. I felt kind of bad that they got, like, blackmailed into building a canoe. No kidding.
0: Well, like I said, they can be mischievous, so sometimes you have to trick them into doing the work that you want them to do. Otherwise, he was never going to get that boat built because they were just (laughs) going to keep fixing the tree. I want to know how.
2: yeah, why didn't he just like cut down the tree and then take it? Why did he keep coming back for it like the next day?
0: My opinion is is that if it's going to be a tree uh, big enough to be a canoe, he was probably pretty exhausted by the time he finished.
2: I guess. I mean, when you be cutting it down every single day.
0: Yeah, there's some uh there's some character flaws in uh, like the.
2: I like that they built it for them, though, and I like that they like the food. Yeah,
0: they always <laughs> like food. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, they are little chubby, little chair-looking things. Yes. <laughs> when you guys come to visit, though, and you try the food, you'll get
0: it. <laughs> okay, we'll get a little. We'll, we'll turn tea. into menehunes ourselves. Nice. Many of the Hawaiian legends tell of deals made between the menehune and islanders. They usually require a tree food being their favorite. They would do this in return for the work that they performed, but they had very strict rules to how the Menehune performed the work. As mentioned earlier, they must complete an entire project in one night or never, and they must never be seen as they work. Otherwise, the Menehune can be convinced to perform amazing architectural feats. Chapter 4. The Alecoco Fish Pond Have you visited this yet, Ariel? Mm Mm-mm. Okay. Well, then you're going to enjoy this. And
1: then you're probably going to go. Thank Jude, since he loves them so much.
0: (laughs) One such feat of architecture is the Alicoco Fish Pond, an artificial body of water that was built to corral and catch fish for the people. It is surrounded by a 900-foot-long and 5-foot-high lava high rock wall it is located at a large bend in Huleha River, and it is the largest fish pond on the Hawaiian Islands of Kavahi, and it is an amazing work of engineering, because archaeologists estimate that the fish pond is around a thousand years old, constructed in the 15th century, and it is thought to be the very first brackish water fish pond in the Hawaiian Islands. It was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1973. One of the most interesting parts of this is the legend of how it was built. According to that story, it is said that the Menehune built the Alikoko fish pond for a princess and her brother. The shy but very strong group of thousands of tiny people lined up in a double row which stretched 25 miles to retrieve large lava stones from a quarry and carry them to the fish pond. The workers passed stones hand to hand and worked all night so that they could not be seen cutting, transporting, and fitting stones for the projects in the long bucket brigade. If they were discovered, their work would have been abandoned. The Menehune were promised that no one would watch them at work, which was carried out after dark. However, the royal siblings disobeyed. They snuck up and watched the Menehune at work. They were amazed at how well and quickly the tiny people worked. The people never rested and they hummed the entire time. Eventually, the humming song caused the two to fall asleep. As the sun was beginning to rise, the Menehune discovered the prince and princess. Then they turned them into twin stone pillars known as the royal stones that can even be seen today in the mountains above the fish pond. The disturbance also caused the work to be stopped before they could complete their task. Interrupted by the sun and the discovery of the children, the Menehune left two gaps in the fish pond wall. Many generations later, Chinese settlers filled the gaps to raise smaller fish. but. The more modern stonework that closed the gap is so far inferior to that of the mystical Menehune.
2: We'll have to get over there and see it someday. Yeah, yeah. that sounds amazing.
0: But it right? also acts as a tale to warn you about peeking on the Menehune when you're told not yeah. to.
2: I don't want to turn to stone. <laughs> no. <Yes.
1: laughs>
0: <clears throat> and yeah, I guess the, the royal stones can actually be seen there too. So when you go, you'll have to look for those on the hill. you'll see the princess and the prince
2: that sounds amazing take lots of pictures
0: and what's really great is that this is a thousand years old and still functional
2: yeah that's amazing especially because like you said that their work like the newer work wasn't as good as the older work too
0: craftsmanship that lasts for centuries compared to shoddy workmanship of today like (laughs) fine The Menehune have utilized their ability to work together to create several amazing constructions to help make life better for the inhabitants of the islands. Among these constructions are irrigation waterways to bring water to the crops that need it below. Chapter 5, the Kikiaola, the Menehune Ditch. On first glance, it doesn't look like much, a small ditch on the side of the road, only about 50 feet long in the town of Kauai. Most people who come to the area to visit are more interested in seeing the swinging wooden bridge across the street, but this small waterway holds a fascinating secret. Hawaiians have always built many stone-lined ditches to irrigate their ponds for growing taro, but very rarely do they employ cut stones to line the ditches. Named Kiki Aola, this ditch channeled water from the Waimea River to the fields in the lower valley. It was engineered in such a way that's not found anywhere else in Hawaii and it continues to puzzle archaeologists today because it is so advanced and so unlike the other irrigation systems developed by the natives. Researchers believe that the stonework predates 14th century Tahitian migration to Hawaii, meaning it was here before the people. At one time, it spanned several miles carrying water to the fields, preventing droughts and improving crops. Could it have been built by the Menehune? As the story goes, Ola, the son of the chief, which I will try to pronounce his name, chief Kualua Pakumaku Maku, paid the mystical builders one shrimp each per Menehune to build a ditch and provide water in a single night.
1: wonder if one shrimp was enough to fill that, that little belly.
0: Probably not, but uh, I guess that was the deal. Wow. It was also promised that all the people would stay indoors and the dogs would be muzzled to create silence for the night, which was done out of respect for the Menehune.
1: Well, imagine. I mean, dogs like to chase squirrels. <laughs> they might like to chase little six-inch little men. <laughs>
0: What makes this structure so impressive is that it required moving stones from a quarry seven miles away. The Menehune built the ditch by cutting rocks. They carved each stone so that it was eight inches square on the ends and three feet long. Each stone was left with a little peg at one corner and the stone below it had a hole or a puka that the peg fits perfectly into. That meant that each stone is hooked in and held fast without the use of mortar. They built the walls of the irrigation ditch up 20 feet high from the river bottom. Though only a small fraction is visible today, British navigator and explorer Captain George Vancouver during his visit in 1793, described the aqueduct as being 24 feet high, with the top of the wall large enough across to be used as a pathway. Tragically, in 1924 a road was constructed, and covers almost the entirety of the old aqueduct before it was saved by the historical society. Many of the stones were taken away by construction staff and locals before it could be preserved.
2: Why wasn't it protected still?
0: Uh, This was during 1920s, so at that time there really wasn't a big concern for trying to preserve uh, historical sites, especially on an island uh, like Hawaii. People viewed the island and the natives there kind of differently than they did from ourselves. So pretty much mainland arrogance on our part. Sad, but true. Additionally, archaeologists can't help but agree The construction technique is so intricate, unlike anything else you'll see in the Hawaiian Islands. Visitors to the Kikiaola will find a plaque erected in 1928 marking the site as listed on the National Register of Historic Places. An interesting point is that the legal document, the application for registration, lists its construction was done by the Menehune. Confirmation that it was believed that the little people of the island existed, and constructed the ditch. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, on there, you know, it, it asks, you know, who built this, and yeah, they're actually writing down. Yeah, it was these mystical little people. And Why not? We agree. <laughs> yeah. The historical society said, okay. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's in writing. And it helps. Yep. It helps support that the Manitoune actually existed. But what about the home of the Menehune? Legends state that the tiny Menehune were frightened away to hide in the forest when the current islanders arrived from Tahiti. Chapter 6 Necker Island Necker Island is one of the northwestern Hawaiian islands that doesn't show much evidence of ever having long-term inhabitation by humans. However, the island does have its own version of Stonehenge with fifty-two archaeological sites and thirty-three ceremonial haiu, places of worship, where mana, or divine energy, is transferred and concentrated through rituals and prayers. The islands includes upright stones that are believed to have been arranged to line up with celestial bodies. According to legends from Kauai, these stones were placed by the Menehune after they were chased off of the main island. According to the myths and legends of the people of Kauai, which lies to the southeast, Necker Island was the last known refuge for the Menehune. They tried to make their home there after they were chased off of the island by the much larger, stronger Polynesian Tahitians. It was here that the small early natives were granted their magic from the stones that they had erected. This granted them their amazing abilities of construction, and the gift to vanish within the forests of the island. Visits to Necker Island are said to have started a few hundred years after the islanders were inhabited, but they stopped traveling there a few hundred years before the Europeans contacted them, leaving the islands to the first inhabitants. So what became of the Menehune, and how are they viewed in modern society? aren't they still there then on necker island no on on hawaii in the forest and so forth okay is what a lot of the legend says but that's not their home their home is supposed to be necker island okay but you know they're social creatures or social people so they want to be around us but they're usually scared of us because of our size and the way they were treated by the ancients
1: do you blame them <laughs> uh, very much? I think it's best to stay
2: far, far away for their fathers. Yeah,
0: chapter seven Menehune of today. Scientists have been attempting to find physical evidence of the Menehune, but no skeletal remains of any physically much smaller people have ever been found on any of the Hawaiian islands, however. Skeletal remains that suggested the hobbit theory have been found in Indonesia that could support the possibility of the Menehune. Homo Florentius was discovered as an early human race on the island of Flores, Indonesia, and they were nicknamed the hobbit due to their size of three feet six inches. The entire population was found on one location and on one island. This community had large teeth for their small size shrugged forward shoulders, no chins, and relatively large feet on short legs. This is where it got its nickname of being the Hobbit. It was believed that this species of prehistoric humans resulted from a term called island dwarfism, an evolutionary process that results from long-term isolation on a small island with limited food resources and a lack of predators. Now, there is no evidence to suggest that this tiny race left the Flores Island, but its theories do support that there could have been other locations, other islands, that experienced the same effects of island dwarfisms, creating tiny people, giving rise to the Menehune. The Hawaiian culture as we know it today is highly related to the Polynesian culture In fact, archeologists believe that the Hawaiians originally immigrated from Tahiti about a thousand years ago. And even though the Menehune were said to be displaced when the first settlers arrived to Hawaii, some people still believe that the tiny original islanders are roaming the land, carrying out tricks on some people while helping others, yet always remaining unseen. One very curious fact to know, an 1820 census of Kauai lists 65 people who identified as Menehune. What? As you know, a census is supposed to go door to door and ask people different questions about their background, their origins, what they do for a living, and so forth. Well, one was done in 1820 on the island of Kauai, and 65 people listed their nationality as Menehune. Huh. Okay. So there are people who believe that they are have Menehune bloodlines in them.
1: <clears throat> Oddly enough, I think of my grandmother <laughs> because she was so small, she was so short, so little, and she was dark complected and hunched over, hunched back, from mm-hmm. my remembering because she was so old and I just picture her being a little minute <laughs> But that was when you said?
0: That was in 1820. Yeah.
2: There's been a little, I don't know if people are still. <laughs> I
0: don't like... know, I guess I would be c- curious to check what the late, the last time my census was done and what the revol- results were of that one. I can't believe you didn't look it up. I didn't think of it. That brings us up to our popular culture section of the episode. Product branding represents them as fun little people, smiling and playful. They're pretty <laughs> cute. I bet. They are utilized to sell clothes, bottled water, and snack foods. Disney's Aluna Resort is full of the replicas of the Menehune in their landscaping. They're in the lobby, under tables, tucked in the corners of buildings, and even nestled under rocks all over the resort. <clears throat> is it
1: like Hidden Mickeys? You got Hidden. <laughs> Mahunes,
0: Menehunes. Okay, you got hidden Menehunes. (laughs) Yes. They exist there to represent the fun-loving yet shy tiny people. The resort even has a Menehune adventure trail in which guests can participate in a scavenger hunt to discover enchanting surprises by solving riddles and searching for the statues of the Menehune. Oh, that sounds fun.
1: I said it does sound fun. Can we wait to do that when we get there? Are you asking me to wait? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: The treasure hunt is available to guests of all ages, but it is best suited for kids who are a little older due to the difficulty of some clues. Goldie Ann is raising her hand now because I kind of agree with her that sometimes it's the kids who get the riddles faster than the adults.
2: don't worry. He'll handle it.
0: Yeah, we'll put Jude's Jude in charge of the treasure hunt.
2: He loves scavenger hunts, so it's right up his app.
0: Okay, so yeah, we'll definitely have to do this and get back with people once we uh, participate in the Menahune Adventure Trail.
1: We'll do a part two edition.
0: In film, the animated television show Rocket Power is about a family living on the Hawaiian Islands. And has had a few full-featured animated films. Errol, do you remember watching this show when you were younger?
2: I do, but I don't know why I never connected that it was in Hawaii. Like, I guess I thought it was California. I haven't watched it since I was a kid, though.
0: The third was titled The Island of the Menehune, in which the gang participate in a race across the islands. And they discover one of the Menehune's hidden homes. Taking a statue by accident or lack of education they start experiencing bad luck at every turn
1: don't take stops
0: i'll have to look into
1: it yeah,
0: yeah. see if you can find it
2: have jude start watching it he'd love see it he likes it
0: so ariel what are some of your final thoughts
2: i liked learning about them i am excited to learn more about these islands every day and i this is a new opportunity for me so i liked it <laughs> I'll have to look and see if there's anything on Oahu, like local, that we can go
1: out and see.
0: I'm sure there is. Goldian, what do you think?
1: I'm surprised you didn't have any stories about them being mischief makers. Because that's the only stories I know about (laughs) them.
0: Uh, Like I said, I was trying to put down more of the moral tales that they had. Ah. uh, Because they were used as a means to teach children how to behave. Right. So I was putting more of the stories that fell in line with that. But yeah, there is a lot of stories where they just cause trouble kind of like imps. Uh, So yes, there is more uh, Hawaii is so rich in culture and stories to include the Menehune. So I would highly recommend that people look into these and learn more about the Menehune for me there's always going to be a question of is there an ongoing forest population of Menehune on the Hawaiian Islands? Are there tiny people who can create structures unlike anything else found on the islands existing before the discovery of the Polynesians? If they do exist, will we be able to ever prove it? There are citizens today who consider themselves as part Menehune. So does their DNA possess the magic from these people? And what effects does it have on them? Perhaps the power exists in the stories as a binding that connects all of the natives of the islands together and protects their rich culture. Well, being sure not to spy on the Menehune tonight, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. I want to give a very special thanks to my daughter Ariel for joining us as she has some of the on the ground experience with the Hawaiian Islands. Also. Thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for the introduction music. We are on social media such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so we would love to hear your stories and opinions about the encounters with the Menehune of your own. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Menehune, and will come again for another episode. Until then, look to the islands and the stories there, and remain constantly curious. Aloha. Bye. See you next time. Bye.